This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The following is a presentation of the Eastern Michigan Sports Network from Learfield. Straight from the 734, it's the Eastern Insider Podcast. Presented by Folding Warehouse, Ipsy, and Arbor. Your chance to get in on the action. Now, let's send it to the guys on the inside of it all. Greg Steiner and Alex Jewell. March upon us, and it's only time for March Madness as we head towards downtown Cleveland, Ohio. It's the Mac Tournament edition of this Eastern Insider. It is one of the best times of the year. Surely madness will ensue both in the Mac and around the rest of the country, Greg. And after a year away, it's time for Eastern Michigan to make their return on the women's side to the Mid-American Conference Tournament. And boy, it starts off fast and furious with a matchup against Bowling Green State University on Wednesday. Game time should be set for somewhere around 4 clock. It's the third game of the afternoon. The game will be broadcast on ESPN Plus and WEMU in the Varsity Network app. So plenty of ways to follow along as the seventh-seeded Eagles will try to play spoiler against Bowling Green. And Greg, Eastern Michigan and Bowling Green is the last matchup we saw for the women's team in the conference tournament a couple of years back. So this one has some history and it should be fun. Yeah, it should be. Uh, BG put up a heck of a fight the other day uh, before falling to Toledo in the finale of the regular season. That would have given them co-championships with the Rock but they weren't able to beat the Battle of I-75 at that one. Earlier this year, it was Eastern going on the road to the Stroh Center. They only matched up one time, and that was the MAC opener. Uh, hard to think back to early January. It was the first MAC road game, excuse me, losing 79-63 at the GSU. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting time for Fred Castro and company because if they win, that certainly then moves them to the semis, and anything can happen as they'll get ready to then battle what you assume would be the third-seeded Cardinals of State. Yeah, it's really all about focusing on the matchup on Wednesday, Greg. You're in a time of the year where we say it all the time, well, you just have to focus on the game at hand, but if you look ahead at all to the next game, it's going to hurt you because ultimately if you lose, you don't get to go on to the next game. So it's worth putting all of your eggs into Bowling Green's basket, if you will, uh, coming up on Wednesday. And this should be an interesting match. You know, a lot of the times, Greg, depending on the draw you have, you've seen the team twice that you're playing. That's not how it worked with Eastern Michigan this year. Of, of the, the only 
saw Bowling Green one time. So, you know, that could in a way help Eastern Michigan because Bowling Green has not had overly a full scout on the Eagles. And really their team has changed quite a bit since Bowling Green and Eastern Michigan played the first time. Eastern Michigan then was not focusing nearly as much on going inside and using kind of those three uh, bigger players on the inside to, to really cause some problems in the paint. Eastern Michigan also, they've been shooting the ball a little bit better from three-point range as of late. So new challenges will be present for Bowling Green. If you're Eastern Michigan, though, you know what Bowling Green brings to the table. And Greg, one thing that I think you and I would both agree with just watching from the outside and doing more uh, analyst work on the radio and for TV the last couple of years is that Bowling Green, not always necessarily the most skilled, but boy, they play with a lot of energy and they use that to their advantage. They've got a, a way about frustrating teams that really nobody else in the league has. Oh, you certainly mentioned that. BG has a way they will uh, play you uh, nip and tuck down the stretch. We saw that just the other day against Brady Salee and company at the Ball State in that nationally televised game. They, they fought back. They they are gritty. They they know how to play that style of basketball that Robin Fralick wants to play. Uh, so it, it's a good matchup for what BG and Eastern match up to because they're, they're both hardworking teams. Uh, so it's good to have postseason basketball back at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse after neither side went last year. Uh, it's good to be back in downtown Cleveland. It is. And one more note on the, the matchup between Bowling Green and Eastern, Greg. You know, if somebody's listening in that's been a fan for a long time, or at least for the last 20 years or so, and I know you can attest to this because you've gotten to see some of these matchups, Bowling Green, Eastern Michigan, that, that's uh, that's got a lot of meat on the bone, if you will, as a, as a tournament matchup. I mean, you think back when Eastern Michigan was going on their run, one of the best teams in the league every year, and kind of that early 2000s to oh, 2012, 2015, Susie Richard, Richard and Kurt Miller. I mean, Bowling Green winning regular season games like you couldn't believe winning some tournaments against each other. I mean, it's really got kind of a historic feel between Bowling Green and Eastern Michigan. Yeah, it certainly does. You look, the Falcons were in a similar spot last year. They just were sneaking into the tournament, trying to make some some headway uh, a year ago after some injuries that really hampered their their season. Eastern's had the same. They've played down in a lot of games because they just haven't had the same bodies. Uh, so it'll be interesting. And as we know, you throw everything out the window. Teams will not get the chance to practice at Rocket Morgan Shield us. There's no shooter up. There is a Monsters game here in the building on, on Tuesday night, so no one will hit the floor until probably 9 a.m. That's going to be a challenge, especially the aspect that you've got a lot of people on this roster who have never set foot in that building before. A lot of people that have never set foot. I will tell you, though, Greg, and Fred Castro is going to allude, allude to it a little bit today in our interview, that uh, in a way, I think it almost helps Eastern Michigan because they're so young and they're so inexperienced that there's no good way to put this, I guess, in a pretty way, but sometimes Sometimes being youthful and inexperienced actually helps you because you don't think about all the pomp and circumstance. You don't think about the history. You don't think about the fact that you didn't get it done last time. Whereas BG, remember, they've got a lot of those players somebody like an Elisa Brett, somebody like Lexi Fleming, who was hurt last year, somebody like Katie Hempling, who's been here for four or five years. They tasted getting to the championship two years ago and then having it all come crashing down. They they felt it last year when they didn't quite have the same firepower. So that could be good for them as a motivator. It could also be tough, though, because that all of a sudden builds a lot of pressure because now you're thinking about all of the last three or four years of what you haven't been able to accomplish. Eastern Michigan, they don't know any better. So they're just going into it like, hey, let's slow up some shots. Let's play a basketball game. And sometimes the, youth, the youthfulness can help you in that regard. Speaking of no pressure, as we talk about women's basketball, we also have to congratulate men's baseball for their sweep at Towson uh, over the weekend. Talk about no pressure. They went into uh, that series
used with uh, playing with reckless abandon. They the bats were swinging, the pitching was going, and Sunday was the perfect example of throwing everything out the window. It's a new team rallying from down six. Well, we've noticed in the last couple of years, Greg, baseball has t- trended up every single year. But one of the challenges they've had is, and if you asked Eric Roof, the head coach, this, he would tell you the exact same thing: get down two or three runs. There wasn't a great comeback effort. It's hard to build up that belief, especially late in the season, if you don't pull out some of those games early on. Well, Sunday was a perfect example. They had won three games in a row in the series. Easy to kind of rest on that Sunday and let one slip by you. And guess what? Eastern Michigan looked early on like that was going to be the story. It was six to nothing. Townsend uh, took the lead. But Eastern Michigan's pitching really rallied and their bats really rallied. They were able to tie the game up, um, went to forced extra innings. It was six all. And then an absolute explosion offensively seven times already, including the 11th inning on Sunday. Eastern Michigan has put up four more runs in an inning. They were able to put up a five spot and seal the deal. Greg, being down six, that was the largest comeback for Eastern Michigan since 2017. So those are the types of factors. It doesn't matter who you're playing, whether you're playing Towson, whether you're playing Michigan State. Those types of attributes and that type of fight carries over no matter who you're playing. That's a really good sign for Eastern Michigan because now you string together some of those wins in those situations and you just believe a little bit more. And Eastern Michigan has come back to win three games now that they've been down three or more runs. So really good early on. If you're looking at kind of an off the off the books stat or intangible, that right there is a big one to tell you how this team is going to fare for the rest of the year. And they will get to the open Mid-American Conference play this week. They'll be in the rubber city as they take on the Akron Zips this Friday Saturday and Sunday, three o'clock is first pitch on Friday. Uh, you look at this, it's a Akron team that has already made some waves. They're an Akron team that's under an interim head coach. They've got everything to play for, but it's the start of Mid-American Conference play, and you know that's a series that Eric Roof and company wants, knowing that in the following week they'll have Ball State and the rest of the league coming here. Well, two things are true. One, you don't want to you, you can't you have to take Akron series. They've played much improved baseball this year. And so give credit to what they've been able to do down uh, in Zipland early on this season. But also, Greg, you know, we, we mentioned it and we've seen it now play out in both men's and women's basketball. The MAC tournament takes four teams in baseball. Every single MAC game counts. You know, it's easy to say, well, we dropped two of the first three. We're going to rally and fight. But you never know how big those games later in the season are. So Eastern Michigan, if you can sprint out to get a couple of wins, at least two wins over the weekend in MAC play, that's huge because it's all about maintaining in the standings and being in that top four and giving yourself a chance for the postseason. Well, in Akron, if you look at their early season results, they can swing the bat. They've put up 14 runs at Western Carolina. Uh, they have already, of course, knocked off Purdue 2-1, but they hung nine more on the Boilermakers. They put up a 12 spot on Elon. So uh, coming into the 4-7 and seven record, they do have that signature win that Eastern is still very much looking for. That's right. They have a signature win. And But the good news is, Greg, Eastern Michigan can swing the bats as well. We've seen that again already this year. So it should be a fun series offensively, which team's pitching can dial it in. Eastern Michigan has started to get more and more pitching progress on the bump. Aaron Hilt's doing a great job with that group. So it should be a fun series. But, Greg, before we even move on to baseball, we've got to take a step back, too, because last week we had a quite the championship run for Eastern Michigan indoor track and field on both the men's and women's side. And that's something we've got to talk about on today's show. 
though. Yeah, they did. Eastern Michigan picked up uh, MAC championships 156 and 157 overall since joining the league in 1973. So congratulations to Sue Parks and company as they are able to sweep through the MAC championships at Bowling Green. And we get the associate head coach Chris Best on the show. Four times now, Eastern Michigan has swept both men's and women's indoor. We talked to Chris Best about the performances, the players that they're excuse me, the student athletes that stood out, the memorable moments from those championships. And so we give kudos to that team as they certainly deserve it with their championship efforts. Greg, we've got that. We've got Fred Castro. He joins the show to talk about the matchup with Bowling Green and a little bit of a rundown on Cleveland, the Mac tournament, all things you need to know. Also gives you an exclusive first listen to what his locker room message is going to be on Wednesday before his team takes the court at around four o'clock. So all that, remember there's plenty of action throughout this week. We've got swim and dive. We've got baseball. We've got all sorts of things going on. So remember to go to emueagles.com slash calendars to get all the most recent information, schedules, and to follow your teams live. Of course, you can also follow on social media as well. With that, you and I've got to get a, uh, a trip down to Cleveland. It's time for the MAC tournament. Wednesday, Eastern Michigan takes on Bowling Green at 4 p.m. Tom Helmer and I have the call on WEMU 89.1 FM about 10 minutes before tip-off. So stay tuned. Greg? Anything else you've got to add? No, I think it'll be a fun one. Don't forget, also gymnastics, home finale, senior day coming up on Sunday. Make sure you get out to the Gervin Center uh, for that one. You may be bored in your life, but you'll never be bored if you're following all the things that are happening with Eastern Michigan. Stay right here. We'll take a quick break. On the other side of it, we've got Fred Castro talking basketball, then Chris Best, track and field, and their championships. You're listening to the Eastern Insider Podcast. You already know Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan gives you access to the largest network of top doctors and hospitals. What you may not know is that with our 24-hour nurse line, online visits, whole health support, urgent care, and more, you can access the care you need whenever and wherever you need it, giving you the confidence in knowing that you're covered anytime, anywhere. We're here for it all and always will be. Learn more at hereforitall.com. Coach Fred Castro, the women's basketball team, back in the tournament yet again. You get a matchup with Bowling Green on Wednesday. And let's just start right there. It's not going to be an easy task against the Falcons. No, but any anybody you play at this point in time is going to be a challenge. That's, I mean, uh, you're going to the tournament, and uh, anybody that's there is going to be a formidable opponent. So that's what's exciting about it. you got to love this time of year, and our team certainly is excited about going to Cleveland. Well, let's go back before we talk about uh, Cleveland specifically to the way your season ended, because going into Ohio, you didn't know what your fate was going to be. The seating was still up in the air, but your team goes on the road. And I know you were impressed with that win. Yeah. You know, the good thing is that we had positioned ourselves to control our destiny. We knew if we won the game, we were in. We didn't know what seed at this point, you know, you know, you win, you're in. And uh, that's a great situation to be in because you're not hoping other things happen. And our team knew it. Uh, our team knew that going into Ohio on senior night was going to be a tough challenge. Uh, they had a great crowd with great energy. And uh, I, I was really proud of our kids uh, ability to step up to the to the challenge and earn the right to be the seventh seed in Cleveland. Whether it's been as a manager, assistant coach, uh, a head coach, you've been in a lot of tournament settings before. Interested your opinion on this. I know it's one thing and you want to clinch your spot in the tournament three weeks ago. 
But is there some stock to playing well on the back end instead of getting wins early and then trying to maybe just hold on to your spot? I mean, you guys obviously had to fight till the end. You've played some good basketball in the last couple of weeks. Is there some stock in that too of carrying some momentum into the tournament? Yeah, the the thing is that regardless where you're at, you're always fighting for something, right? Whether you're the one, two, three, four seed, you're fighting for that championship. If you're fighting for five, six, seven, eight, you're fighting for the seed and the location and the timing and all that stuff. So you're always, um, there's a sense of urgency. Um, and that's what makes conference play so exciting, right? Uh, you know, there's always something at stake. There is a little bit more urgency when, you know, position yourself where, Hey, this could be the last game of the season if you don't take care of business. So, uh, we've been in survive in advance mode since Ohio. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was really happy with how our players responded to being in that scenario. A lot of players on this team have not gone to Cleveland yet before. A lot haven't felt kind of that taste of defeat or wanting more Mm -hmm. when the game doesn't go your way. Is that something you can coach into them this week? Or is that something where you kind of rely on the veterans that have been on the team and have been close, but but haven't been able to hoist that trophy? Do you rely on them more to to bring those youngsters along and tell them what it's going to be like when you go to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse? Yeah, right now we're such a young team, you know, so we... Right now, Tyra is a sophomore, first year here. Uh, Liv is a freshman. Uh, uh, Lachelle is a sophomore. So we're playing a lot of young kids. And so a little bit, what we're really using is the uh, the fact that it is new and it is uh, fresh to them and the excitement of it. Obviously, you got to be able to manage that because the experience does help. Uh, but we're talking about the energy, the excitement that they are going to experience and how we use that to our benefit. Let's talk now about the matchup that you're going to have on Wednesday. The nice thing is you find you got yourself into that seven seed position. So you don't have to play the early morning mm-hmm. game. That's nice. You get a little bit more of a rest uh, opportunity play in the early afternoon against Bowling Green, the two seed. This is a Falcons team that you've only seen once this year, but they are pretty sound all the way around. Robin Freilich's done a nice job. Lexi Fleming, a lot of players, were, uh, a lot of fans will remember from a couple of years ago. She was out last year with injury. Give us your scouting report on what you're looking at with the Falcons right now. Yeah, you know, they they finished second in conference. They uh, went basically toe-to-toe with Toledo in the last game of the year for the championship and and positioned themselves to win it and give Toledo a lot of credit. They fought back and won a, a tough game. I think as a team like uh, BG that you always know you're going to get a physical matchup, a team that can shoot the three, can get to the rim, uh, has good depth. So they pose a lot of challenges um, for any opponent. So uh, our preparation and, uh, you know, the the nice thing is we have played them in in the conference tournament before. So we have some familiarity in terms of how they approach uh, certain things this time of year. Um, but it's a double edged sword there. They know us a little bit. Well, too. Give me a little bit more on Lexi Fleming, because this is somebody that really took the league by storm a couple of years ago, Mac mm-hmm. freshman of the year. She had an outstanding game in the tournament, um, against you guys and really throughout the tournament last year, she gets hurt. So a lot of people haven't seen her kind of in that second year development, but this is a guard who's pretty all over the court she can pass the ball. She can score it. What are people going to have to look for with Lexi Fleming on Wednesday? And what challenges that uh, present your perimeter? Yeah, you know, Lexi, uh, just to put it the way it really is, she's a maniac out there. She's all over the place. Um, She is starting for them again. She seems to have recovered from her ACL injury. 
Uh, she's shooting the three a lot more than she did her freshman year. Uh, and she's combined that with her ability to get to the rim and make free throws and make plays for others. Um, you know, obviously being player of the year as a freshman, you know, she has a certain uh, caliber about her and uh, she's going to present some challenges, but I think challenges that the league as a whole has really good guards. So it's not the first time we've seen really good guard play. One thing that I've noticed about Bowling Green in the last couple of years, especially is it seems like from the outside looking in that they really rely on a lot of their energy as a whole. They're not necessarily always the most talented, but they're up in your face. They get energized. Lexi Fleming, very much uh, an emotional player. Katie Hempfling coming off for them. Seems like she's been in the league for 10 years. She'll mm -hmm. get up in people's faces and get rowdy. When a team's like that, it's okay if that's not your style. But how do you combat that on the court to not allow them to kind of get into that, that rhythm that they feel comfortable with and then make that a factor in the game? Yeah, a big part of it is taking care of the ball. Right. I think a lot of that energy uh, comes at, at an expense. They've had a little more depth um, previously. Right now, they're probably at the least uh, depth that they've had all year. And it's so that's, I think, impacting them a little a little bit. But they still play with a bunch of energy. Um, they're a, a very tight knit group. You can tell watching them play. Uh, but I think a lot of that energy leads to easy offense. So our ability to take care of the ball. Uh, kind of shutting down some of that energy. I think we control a lot of that and how we play and attack them. Well, let's talk about your team a little bit. You guys have uh, played well in the last couple of weeks of the season, get yourself into the tournament. Now a chance to come into the tournament and go on a run. When you look at it from a 10,000 foot view, what are two or three areas that you feel like right now have made significant improvements from the start of the season? Oh, uh I mean, the, the elephant in the room is our post play. I mean, we're almost averaging 40 points per in the paint uh, per game, which is by far the best in the league. Um, as of late, we've been shooting the three a lot better, which goes a long way. We scored 74 points the other night at Ohio. I, I think we're really tough to beat when we get in that mid-70s. Um, and if you're scoring 40 points in the paint, you're, you're going to give yourself a chance. you got to be able to knock down some of those perimeter shots. And then defensively, I think we've been able to mix some things up with zone, man, press uh, that have been we've done enough to keep teams off balance. So combining all that together, um, I think has been a good recipe for us. From a coaching standpoint, I think that's something people might be interested in. When you're doing this game plan for Bowling Green on Wednesday, do you, do you calculate it out and say, all right, I think we need to hit maybe this number or keep them to a certain number, or is it more... We need to play this style of basketball and see how the cards fall. Is there a number in your head where it's like, all right, if we hit this much, I think we're going to win this game. Yeah, I think, you know, once you get to this point in the year, you know your team really well. You know uh, what you have, what your strengths are, what your deficiencies are. And so yeah, and in our head, we know we have to play a certain style of game in order to reach some of those data numbers. Right. And I think, um, our team knows that, you know, at this point we've seen every style, you know, the personnel, you know, the style. So it's a matter of execution, knowing what, how you want to approach certain teams, certain opponents and what makes them, um, you know, what's their kryptonite, if you will. And certainly attacking it and staying away from yours. All right. I'm going to ask you the question that uh, we never thought we'd ask, but COVID has made it a prevalent question throughout all these tournaments. Are you going suits? Are you going casual? What's the look <laughs> going to be? And why have you come to that decision? No, we're, we've, uh, we've been suits at home and uh, casual on the road. So we're going to keep, uh, we're on the road. It's a neutral site. So we're 
wearing tennis shoes and athletic gear all week in Cleveland. All right. Finally, I'll leave you with this one. Um, what is, you know, you're in the locker room at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, 10 minutes to tip off. What is that final message of the, of that message that you can share? What's that final message to your team going to be before Wednesday? Yeah. Have fun. Enjoy the opportunity. We fought really hard to get here. Um, trust yourself, the work that we've put in and uh, let it, let it fly. Let it be, be the best version of us. And that takes the individual efforts and the collective efforts. Um, but it's March. It's an exciting time of year. If you're a ball player, you're a coach, uh, crazy things happen this time of year. We want to be part of that. And I think we have a group that understand that understands that and is uh, eager to uh, shoot our shot. Coach, good luck on Wednesday and then hopefully an extended stay in Cleveland. Will do. Thank you. There he is, Fred Castro and the women's basketball team. They get it going on Wednesday at the Mid-American Conference Tournament. Third game of the afternoon. We don't know an official start time yet. The games start at 11 o'clock, so you can assume Coach Castro's game will be somewhere in that 4 o'clock range. Tom Helmer and I will have a game on WEMU 10 minutes prior to tip-off. Hey, Eastern Insider fans, if you need a place to stay when you're in town, make sure it's the Holiday Inn Express and Suites, University South. Our guests home away from home for only $119 a night plus tax. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Eastern Insider Podcast. So happy now to be joined by Chris Best, the associate head coach of the track and field and cross country program here. Fresh off another set of Mid-American Conference Championships last weekend. You might have watched and followed along Eastern Michigan rallying in both the men's and women's side to get it done in both another sweep of the indoor championships. Coach, first and foremost, thanks for joining us. Congratulations on another couple of rings coming your guys' way. Thank you. Thank you. Field offices. Thank you very much. It was definitely, uh, definitely was exciting meet, um, mainly because the last time the men's and women swept the indoor championships was at Bowling Green. So it was kind of a, it was a cool, cool recap of pretty much doing the same thing we did there back in, I think, 2018. Well, let's start with the teams overall, because it was very interesting, at least from the outside perspective, looking in at how the different teams got it done. So on the men's side, um, a lot of individual championships, eight individual titles kind of carried the way to get the men's side of things. Of course, Baldwin Magnuson, we'll talk about him, what he's able to do on the men's side. But on the women, only one individual championship. But that says a lot about what the rest of the group was able to do, the consistency, and then scoring those points uh, throughout the throughout the couple of days. What's your take on just the differences and how the teams were able to accomplish it, but ultimately both came out on top. So on the men's side, you, you definitely got to, you got to get those big point scores, which um, obviously Baldwin Magnuson and Yvonne Lopez and, uh, and Newland Stevenson, a lot of those guys that, um, that were able to be at the top of the podium, some freshmen like Carson McCoy, like a lot of, a lot of those big points that you get, um, really help on the men's side because there's only four teams and the, the, you only score six deep. So with the scoring being 10, 8, 6, 4, 2, 1, if you're the more first, seconds, and thirds you're able to get, the, the easier it is to get those to get to 177 or 100 plus 170, which is usually what it's going to take to win on the men's side. But on the women's side, um, as you kind of hinted on, it's more about the it's more about the depth on the women's side. Like we didn't have any real areas where we didn't score points in. Like we didn't score in the women's pentathlon or the women's shot put. But pretty much every other event, we scored something. And with twelve teams, and knowing that everybody's kind of grabbing points here in this event or this event, the fact that we were able to kind of get somebody in every single area, it really helped out on the women's side. When you look at it, kind of te- walk us through who were your standout athletes, who who stepped up that that may have 
been what you expected or even maybe more so it's stepped up than you expected? On the men's side, obviously, we've said his name a lot, but Baldwin Magnuson. I mean, obviously, the, the guy's a the guy's a Mac warrior. He is whenever whenever he's in a Mac meet, you know what you're going to get from him. Um, and he displayed that pretty much almost every Mac meet he's been at. So I think um, him was uh, seeing him do that was was very positive. And I think when the kids on the team see that, it motivates everybody on the team to kind of do that. Um, another big one would probably be Ivan uh, Lopez Rivero. He uh, he's a newcomer to the team and being able to score in um, in three different events with a second place in the hurdles, a win in the long jump and a third place in the triple jump um, as a first come a first timer for our team was huge for us to get those those points. And then uh, I think another guy that uh, really stood out was Carson McCoy. If, if, if people saw the race, he was so far back and he just came out of nowhere with 100 meters to go to, to win a title as a freshman in of a pretty experienced 800 meter field, I thought was was very uh, was very exciting to see for him. Um, another one that uh, that's always been kind of right there, but um, this kind of this year he kind of really came out uh, was uh, Caleb Simpson. Um, he was able to win 6,200 titles this year, which uh, he's always been kind of right there in second place or third place. So this year to kind of be able to come out here as a junior and having got to that point before, but never actually gotten the gold. I think that was a huge step forward for him as well. Um, on the women's side, uh, Angel Gasaway, she's been here in the fifth year and, and she came in this year with a mission. She worked so hard over the summertime to really make her fifth year worthwhile. So I think her finally getting that individual title after pretty much making every Mac meet final that she's ever been in um, since she's been at Eastern, she's only missed one Mac meet that she didn't participate at but every Mac meet, she's always been the final. So to finally be able to get there as a senior and get the, the only individual championship on the women's side was, was very, uh, was very impressive. Um, another, another athlete, uh, Mara Lane, um, she came into a, the pole vault and, and had a phenomenal day on the right day. Um, she had some setbacks during the season, but um, with her, she's always been a gamer when it gets to Mac meets. So she came out there and really performed at a high level and was able to get second in a, in a pretty good pole vault field. Um, and then another one that kind of really stood out was uh Soraya walks. Uh, she's a sophomore and last year she made Mac finals in indoors and outdoors, but this year to get second in both the 60 and the 200, which this year she ran the 64, um, only two times during the season. Well, the second time was at the Mac meet. So for her to be able to go out there and, and perform as a sophomore and get it done at such a high level in a very competitive field was exciting to watch and see. Um, and then uh, another one was Kyra Buffin, um, she wasn't even ranked in the long jump and was able to go there, snag long jump points, and then come back in the triple jump the next day and be able to do well and score big points for us in the triple jump. Um, I thought that was I thought that was pretty exciting as well, too. 1997, 2000, 2018, and now 2023, the men's and women's sweeps of the indoor championships. It's not easy to come out on top and win championships. But I think sometimes we fall into the trap of just assuming it's going to happen at Eastern Michigan with track and field and cross country. Um, but ultimately, like I said, not easy to get the job done when it becomes down to this championship meet. What is it about the program here at Eastern Michigan? Obviously, you've been a part of it for a long time and have been a part of the success. What is it about the program that goes in in the off season and through the buildup of the indoor season and then into the outdoor season that allows the student athletes to perform at their very best in the most important, important meets of the year? Well, I think it starts during the recruiting process. A lot of them come to Eastern because they know that when they're coming here, that they could be part of something special um, in all the event areas. We've had a lot of success in all the event areas. So I think 
no matter if it's throws, distance, jumps, or sprints and hurdles, is like we've had success at the national level and at the the world level. Um, so I think a lot of kids, they come in and they see the banners on the wall, they see the championship trophies, and it's exciting to to come in and, and know that you can be a part of it. And I think that's what what drives them to do so well when they get to the MAC meet. Um, I think of an athlete like Chloe Musta, who who came to the who last year she didn't have it as great as she would have liked, but this year she came with a new attitude. Like she came in a brand new person. Um, mindset was way better. Uh, but I think that mindset that they get is knowing that they're valued and that they can help contribute to something bigger than just the individual success, which is ultimately the team success. One of the things that that's changed the last few years is you guys went from separate programs to a full combined track and field program. How has that changed things and how you're able to to coach and put resources in different ways that maybe you didn't previously? I think it allows the coaches, uh, first and foremost, the ability to not spread themselves too thin um, and be able to, to put their expertise into one area. Um, before it was it was challenging on the men's side because they had a distance coach, a throws coach, and then um, Coach Roberts, Sterling Roberts, who did sprint turtles, jumps, and multis. He did everything. Um, and then on our side, on the women's side, we had um, a sprints coach, a distance coach, and then we had somebody who did all the field events. So now I think we're starting to see that with being able to specialize and have coaches specialize on certain areas, we're able to have growth. Um, Evan uh, Brusich, who's our jump, our vertical jumps and multis coach, he was able to have a, a guy pole vaulter do well. And it's been a while since we had a guy pole vaulter, but now that we have somebody who's able to specialize in on that area, um, I think it allows the coaches to be able to to do a good job of individualization, but also for the athletes to be able to get the attention that they need on a daily basis. When you're talking about uh, that preparation and you think about, like you said, the, the ability to, to work together as a team, one thing I'm interested in from my perspective, not necessarily having a track background, and I know a lot of our listeners are the same way, one thing I was following on the Saturday of the championships was kind of those point totals, and they start to, to to change a little bit. You look going into Saturday morning, and both the men's and the women's team are behind in the standings. It seemed like watching just the, the video and following along that as that momentum starts to pick up, it's kind of like uh, coming back in a basketball game or something like that. Do you feel that as do, do coaches and student athletes feel that at the event as, you know, some of that momentum starts to pick up, it seems like some of the wins start to come in certain events, or do you go into that Saturday morning knowing I'm pretty confident our best events are ahead of us. We just have to kind of play this out one thing at a time, or is that momentum a, a real factor? Um, I both. Honestly, I think both. I think that our athletes have always been aware that we've never been a quote unquote, first day team, which is the team that is able to score a lot of points on the on the on the prelim days. Uh, we've always been a team that we get a lot of people to finals. Um, that's what we're aiming for. So when, we're, when we had our team meeting on Friday night, we were talking about how many people we had in the finals. We had people in the finals of every single sprint hurdle um, and distance race uh, that had a preliminary round. So I think that they know that. Um, so I think that we try not to look at the scoreboard um, as much because we know that there's a lot of points left out there. And then the momentum helps too. Like when you start the day off, uh, when you see, when you, when you start the day off and you see, we have a girl score in the mile and then you have three guys go one, two, three in the mile at the Mac meet. It's like the kids feel that energy They're they, they know their next one's on the track that, wow, we just went one, two, three in the mile. We just had a girl score in the mile. Like we carry that energy over to the hurdles. And then the hurdles is like uh, angel wins the hurdle race. And Elise Wade is in the top five. And then you got, the guys go two, three in the hurdles. And it's like, you just, you just feel the momentum just kind of start to, 
to just pick up as the day goes on. Um, so yes, I think it's a little bit of both of one. We don't really look at the points after the prelim days because we know we know what we got firepower wise when we get to the we get to the finals days on the track. Talking track with Chris Best from the EMU Track and Field Program. The you look at it, one qualifier moves on to to national championships. It'll be uh, Newland Stevenson at. Uh, the weight throw his third consecutive season that he's been able to go to the NCAA meet in that category never happened before in Eastern history in that category. What does it mean for him to, to qualify again and follow on the heels of Tage Bryant last year uh, being an all American. Um, Newland works extremely hard. People, people who have been around him since his first day here know that he He's a man of action. He he shows up every day. He works hard. He he just wants to raise the bar for himself and is for his teammates every single day. So I think that this year it's like knowing that he's had the experience before. No, he doesn't have Tage with going with him this year, but knowing that he has experience before, I think that he's really ready for it. And uh and he's proven that with how he's progressed throughout the season. His consistency this year is through the roof of of how he's been throwing every single meet's been around the same mark. So I think that he's definitely ready to compete at the national level and and, and to become a first team All American. Does a guy like Vinny who just missed out does this mean that he maybe goes and pushes a little harder in outdoor trying to to get there? Oh yeah, absolutely. Vinny Vinny is Vinny is a worker. I mean he. he Benny won't take any days off if you don't let him. Um, he's a, he's one of the hardest working kids you'll ever meet. And he's very and the thing about him is he's so humble about it and so modest. And it it just makes you appreciate everything that he does for the team so much more because he's not the he's not a cocky guy. He's a very humble guy who loves working hard and loves supporting his teammates. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Sue Parks, who directs the program on the men's and women's side. Another duo uh, of honors as the MAC Coach of the Year on both the men's and the women's side after the indoor meet. I know that she's somebody who would never put herself in the same uh, light as her father, obviously, who was who ran this program and is one of the most legendary coaches in Eastern Michigan history. But if you look at the numbers, she continues to to help lead championship teams and bring home Coach of the Year accolades. From your perspective, working alongside her, working in the same program. Uh, what is Sue Park's legacy continuing to, to do as it continues to grow? Um, I think the first couple of years, it was learning how to direct both programs, which is something that was 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 new to her and to, I mean, pretty much all of us. So um, I think that she's now showing that she's not just somebody who can lead just a women's program. She's somebody that can lead both programs. And um, I think that she allows her assistant coaches to be able to do their jobs at a high level and, and provide us the resources we need to be able to compete. And she's just a winner. Um, she's a winner. She's always going to try to find a way to, to put us and the athletes in the best situation to be successful and to, and to win, because that's something that these kids, these athletes, these coaches will be able to remember for the rest of our lives is, is how much we win and how often we do. So um, I think that something that her, she was taught at a very young age from being brought up in the sport of track and field and being around her dad, who was, able to have a lot of success and and to know what that that blueprint looks like and i think she carries that blueprint with with her every day and she teaches us how to how to do the same thing Let's talk about the transition now because uh, you see that the championships have happened. Usually when that happens in a sport, it means the season's over. But track and field cross country is one of the most interesting sports where it continues to kind of roll on through the year. You get through cross country, now Mac indoor season, and then you'll be into outdoor season here coming up shortly. How do things change when you go to the outdoor setting? Um, I know the the track is obviously a little bit different, different sizing, all that type of stuff. Um, how do you how does the season carry over? Is there a lot of carryover or is there different student athletes in different events? How does that work? 
so you get some new events like we, there's more throwing events outside so um so a lot of the kids that haven't gotten to compete yet like our jab guys they'll and girls they'll be able to go outside and finally start to compete they haven't competed this indoor season because they don't have an event indoors and then the disc is we have some pretty good uh discus athletes as well and um so the transition is going to be it's going to be interesting um especially when you start adding 40 more meters to the 60 and you got the 400 hurdles and this 3k steeplechase and a lot of these events that we don't get to do indoors or are really practice for um four by one so a lot of these things that we don't really get to train or practice for during the indoor season we now got to refocus redirect our energy and our attention to that so it's like we enjoyed the championship that weekend. And then it's like that next week was spring break for us, thankfully. So it was able to kind of like reload, recharge, refresh our brains and kind of now get ready for, for what's next. So um, the transition will be, it'll be interesting because a lot of us haven't been able to go outside uh, a lot recently because of the weather here in Michigan. But so I know our kids are excited and eager to start going on some of these trips to Florida and, and North Carolina and Texas and stuff. So we could actually get outside and be able to do those events. And let you get out of here without touching on some alums who we know continue to do big things. Donald Scott winning, continuing at the national level, Brittany Mason continues to do her thing. What are some alums that people should be keeping an eye out on and looking forward to, to keeping that Olympic streak alive? Um, well, I think, uh, Tage Bryant, he's still doing really well. He's uh, he's still throwing. He actually threw at the USA Championships. He made the finals at the USA Indoor Championships in the uh, in the weight throw. Um, Willie Fink, he uh, he just ran a new 5K PR just recently at Boston. I think he ran like 13:30 something in the 5K. Um, I think who else is out there still competing? I know we have some international guys, uh, Lawson, who's still doing some marathon stuff. Um, so we got we got a lot of people out there that are alums that are still that are still competing at a pretty high level in the sport. Um, one of our own volunteer coaches, Cameron Hart, he actually competed at the USA Indoor Championships um, a couple of weeks ago as well, too. So um, I think we have a we have a pretty good um, alum base that's that's still competing pretty well that we're excited to see who's going to make that that next Olympic team next year. Does it ever hurt trying to pick your hands up with so many rings on them that they're always always so weighed down? I mean, geez, you got a lot of hardware, coach. Well, the good thing for me is I'm not a jewelry person, so I, I very rarely ever wear them. I just have them on display in my office. And uh, I told my mom the other day because she's bought me a few ring boxes. That I'm gonna need a I'm gonna need a new one here pretty soon because I'm running out of room already. Well, that is how you know that you've won a lot of championships if you need more than one ring box. So that's the motivation for Coach Creighton and, and the rest of the coaches around town. If you need more than one ring box. Coach, can't thank you enough for taking a few minutes with us today. Congratulations on the indoor success. Good luck as you move into the outdoor season. And uh, again, congratulations on championships 156 and 157. We appreciate it. And we uh, we definitely couldn't do it without the support of the athletic department. Our tremendous team captains this year did a phenomenal job. Uh, Tiffany Chirinay Garcia, Kyle Martin, uh, Meyer Edwards, Newland Stevenson, Eddie Zercher, Almighty Williamson. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody right now. But yeah, they all did a they all did a tremendous job of of, of helping lead our team to to, to victory. Well, you can follow Coach Best and the rest of the track and field team as they go throughout the outdoor season, trying to claim even more championship hardware later this spring. We'll take a quick time out, come back with more on the other side of this break. You're listening to the Eastern Insider Podcast. This has been another edition of the Eastern Insider Podcast, powered by Learfield. Tune in every Monday for new episodes all year long. And don't forget to visit emueagles.com slash podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts for all of our episodes on demand.